Sunday evening or afternoon if you are here with me live in the Discord chat. This is Last Minute Politics. My name is Pepper Coyote, and we're going to be talking about only controversial stories Sunday. Today, <laughs> today every story will be controversial. That is my promise. I can make that promise every day of my life. <laughs> Everything is controversial. Uh, and I, I w- I'm not even going to follow that with like, in the year 2022, everything's controversial. It's like, no, things, <laughs> things have been controversial for a long time. Heck, you could even say that it's in the human, the human character to want to argue about things and find differing uh, paths <laughs> that could then be reconciled into possibly finding a higher truth. Dialectics. It is a beautiful Sunday uh, afternoon for me, because I'm out here in Arizona, where we have no snow. Anybody started snow out there yet? I'm not going to miss it, but I recently was in Pennsylvania, uh, and it was it's like 30 degrees colder. I'm like, man, I forgot what it's like to be uncomfortable with how cold it is. The worst you get here is like put on long sleeves and you're set, but enough of me making people jealous about my geographic location. Besides, everybody can come move to Phoenix. Houses are only approaching California levels of ridiculousness. <laughs> Houses are still under a million dollars, some of them. <laughs> In Phoenix, you know, luxurious, glorious Phoenix, Arizona. Everyone's a place everyone is clamoring to move to the... In a, in a world of rising average temperatures. Everyone wants to go to Arizona. Let's see if it hits 140 this year. Not yet, but soon. And since I'm alone today, you're just going to have to deal with these pauses while I just while I take drinks. Our first story today, we got three of them, and they're all kind of huge. Oh, maybe we have four of them. I'm not, do you consider this two stories or one story? Well, you'll see what I mean in a second. Please pardon the amount of article reading that's going to happen this week, but it's kind of important. It's important for uh, for the discussion that I wish to have. This first article this comes from World Socialist website. <laughs> I'm not a journalist, and I should definitely do a bit more of like, what the hell? Where am I even pulling these stories from? But I I should have to get that kind of, give that kind of disclaimer more when I do like a CNN or MSNBC or Fox or Bloom or like any of the the mainstream media. <laughs> <laughs> because, like, if you've been paying attention for more than a few minutes, uh, yeah, the kinds of stories and the way that their stories are addressed are controlled by the mechanisms of power. They only are the biggest media sources because they are allowed to stay the biggest media sources by the people in power. And if they challenged power hard enough, and it's not that they could challenge power, they just are power. They're just, like, fully integrated into the power structure. These are companies owned by billionaires. And if you think that they aren't going to have some kind of skew in how they cover stories... You're uh, you're fooling yourself. So it's not that I don't care where, <laughs> where my sources come from. Like, I try really hard not to just bring up someguysays.com. You're not going to get this kind of reporting from, quote, mainstream news sources because they're just going to not talk about it. It's actually kind of weird how little this has been talked about. I thought it'd be more of a stink. Anyway, from World Socialist Website... Org, written by Patrick Martin. We got 30 Democrats in Progressive Caucus urge Biden to open talks with Russia in Ukraine war. And let me just read from this for a bit. 30 Democratic members of the House of Representatives sent a letter to the White House Monday urging President Joe Biden to begin negotiations with Russia aimed at bringing the U.S.-NATO war in Ukraine to an end. 
It is the first public call from the Democratic Party for a negotiated settlement of the war. All of the Democrats who signed the letter are members of the Progressive Caucus, chaired by Representative Pramila Jayapal of Washington, who was the first name on the list. The others all represent safe Democratic seats, mainly in urban districts, including all the members of the, quote, squad, the left liberal the left liberal group associated with Alexandra Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I don't know why I have a hard time pronouncing her name when I'm reading it. If I'm just talking, I have no problem. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Rashida Tlaib. The letter begins with a declaration of support for the all-out U.S. backing for Ukraine, accepting the framework of the war narrative presented by the Biden administration and the U.S. national security apparatus and reinforced by a tidal wave of media propaganda, which ignores the decades-long campaign of NATO expansion eastward and its efforts to surround, weaken, and ultimately dismember Russia. Vladimir Putin's decision to invade Ukraine, a reactionary response, a reactionary response to this NATO campaign, is treated as the criminal decision of one man to attack an innocent neighbor, which requires a global response in defense of the right-wing regime in Kiev, brought to power in 2014 in a CIA-backed coup with fascist forces acting as the spearhead. But the letter then reminds Biden of his of his concern that a direct military conflict with nuclear-armed Russia could lead to World War III, and that, quote from the letter, the risk of nuclear weapons being used has been estimated to be higher now than at any time since the height of the Cold War. This is me just talking now. Regardless of what your specific position is on the Ukrainian conflict— we have got to uh, kind of reckon with, we, we kind of need to be adults and and reckon with the reality that is nuclear war cannot be an option. And if anyone is trying to push that as, ah, the way that we will solve and bring about peace is through nuclear conflicts with Russia, I don't know how to, like, I don't even know how to begin talking to people. Like, this is either people who are stuck in movie TV land where they think, like, oh, it'll be totally chill. We'll have, they'll have a nuclear war over there and then we won't be affected. And, like, we all know how nuclear war would work, right? How it's, like, the end of the world. It brings about, like, nuclear winter, a nuclear holocaust. <laughs> I wish people would be a bit more serious when they're jumping out, trying to throw out their opinions of what they think should happen with this conflict. I don't have a ton of specifics. I'm not a diplomat. I, can't, I could never lay down a step-by-step -step plan of exactly who should do what and get what. And I can say that I am against nuclear war. And if we are being real about this conflict, we have far more to, more tools than we are uh, ready to admit that we have towards the, the end of not having a nuclear conflict with Russia or anybody. <laughs> no nuclear conflicts. I am anti-nuclear war. The letter continues. Given the catastrophic possibilities of nuclear escalation and miscalculation, which only increase the longer this war continues, we agree with your goal of avoiding direct military conflict as an overriding national security priority. From this starting point, the 30 Democrats draw the conclusion that a prolonged years-long conflict should be avoided, making a negotiated settlement necessary. They argue, quote, if there is a way to end the war while preserving a free and independent Ukraine, it is America's responsibility to pursue every diplomatic avenue to support such a solution that is acceptable to the people of Ukraine. The alternative to diplomacy is protracted war, with both its attendant certainties and catastrophic and unknowable risks. Every conflict, is me talking again, every conflict, at least, yeah, every war ends in a negotiation of some kind. Even World War II 
ended in a negotiation of some kind. This is not like video games where you beat the head guy and then the whole rest of the zombie army all dies at once because that's, I guess, how it works. It's not like like the White Walkers in, (laughs) in Game of Thrones. No matter what, at some point, you have to go to the negotiation table, write out some papers, sign some papers, and then stop shooting each other. That's how wars end, at least in at least for the last 100 200 years that's how wars end and this is a letter that is pushing for that to happen faster remember from the beginning of this article and the beginning of the letter they're talking about at no point does this letter say we should uh, stop sending arms to ukraine at no point does it say we should stop sending money or stop supporting ukraine it says we should also be pursuing <laughs> it's like in addition to that's it That is how radical and crazy this letter is, is keep doing what you're doing. We fully support what you're doing, but we think you should also be attempting some diplomacy. Here, here. they sum up, quote, this is back from that letter again. In conclusion, we urge you to make vigorous diplomatic efforts in support of a negotiated settlement and ceasefire, engage in direct talks with Russia, explore prospects for a new European security arrangement acceptable to all parties that will allow for a sovereign and independent Ukraine, and, in coordination with our Ukrainian partners, seek a rapid end to the conflict and reiterate this goal as America's chief priority. This letter is not an anti-war declaration. This is out of the quote again. This is back to the article. This letter is not an anti-war declaration. Every one of the signers voted for the most recent legislation approving tens of billions more spending on U.S. military aid to Ukraine. The cumulative total of some $60 billion is the largest amount of American military aid to any single country in half a century since the Vietnam War. So, this sounds, I, to me, it sounds relatively reasonable. And as I was talking about before, in no way extreme and not even asking for a big, for like a change of course. It's in addition to what we are doing Perhaps we should be exploring diplomacy because nuclear war would be bad. And the only two ways that this ends is with nuclear war or peace negotiations. So what day was this on? This was uh, October 24th. So about six days ago from when I'm recording this, I'm recording this on the 30th on Sunday. Let's go to our second story of the day. I'm copy and pasting this into our Discord chat. If you want to be here listening live, join our Patreon, patreon.com slash Last Minute Politics, give us $1 a month or more, and you can be in here live every time we do a recording. Yelling at me, heckling me, throw out some articles, give me suggestions for topics, have a conversation. We hang out afterwards and chat. It's a good time. So, our second one, our second story of the day. This is uh, the 25th of October, so... A day after that article. Progressive Democrats retract Biden-Ukraine letter after furious debate. Dramatic U-turn from Progressive Caucus withdrawing letter sent to U.S. President urging talks to end war in Ukraine. The chair of the... Uh, this is from... Who's this from? This is from The Guardian. Uh, Ed, Ed Pilkington reporting. The chair of the Progressive Caucus of the U.S. House... Uh, Pramila Jayapal has retracted a letter sent by 30 of the members urging Joe Biden to engage in direct talks with Russia to end the war in Ukraine following a heated debate within the Democratic Party about future strategy over the conflict. So that letter was too extreme. The letter that said, keep doing everything you're doing. We don't want to send one fewer cent than we're already sending. We're going to keep voting for more funding in the future, but also let's do negotiations. That letter was seen as unacceptable to the democratic establishment and they were pressured into pulling it back 
In a statement issued on Tuesday afternoon, Jayapal also, if I'm saying Jayapal wrong, I'm really sorry. I think I've read her name for like years now. I don't know if I've ever heard anyone say it out loud. Pretty sure it's Jayapal. If it's Jayapal, if it's like Hayapal, I'll be mad. <laughs> like, very sorry. I think I'm saying it correctly. And if I'm not, it's not because I'm trying to b- b- dunk on people. I would only ever dunk on her for her policies, not for her name. <laughs> Jayapal made a dramatic U-turn, scrapping the letter that had been sent to the White House the previous day and implying it had all been a mistake. The letter was drafted, this is what Jayapal says, the letter was drafted several months ago, but unfortunately was released by staff without vetting. (laughs) So we signed this letter a few months ago, but we didn't mean it, and we're going to pretend that a staffer released it without or authorization. A rogue staffer. A rogue anti-nuclear war staffer is out there causing trouble. <laughs> Jayapal went on to regret what she said was conflation of the progressive democratic call for a diplomatic end to the Ukrainian war with a recent statement by the Republican leader in the House, Kevin McCarthy. So they're saying that since Kevin McCarthy, who's the Republican House dude, uh, is saying that we need to recon... He didn't even... He also didn't say end funding to think, but he said that we can't... Uh, we, there can't be a blank check to Ukraine from Congress. And uh, Jay Paul is saying that that letter came coming out at almost the same time that uh, Kevin McCarthy is, say, is also saying, hey, maybe we shouldn't be sending all this money to Ukraine. Uh, And I say also saying, because remember, that letter in no way said that funding should stop or be decreased. It didn't say they wouldn't vote for it in the future. That's kind of what Republicans are hinting at, though, like Kevin McCarthy. And uh, the two are being conflated. The conflation of this call for a diplomatic end to Ukraine with a recent statement by the Republican leader of the House, Kevin McCarthy, which threatened an end to aid for the stricken country should the Republican Party take back the House in next next month's midterm elections. And again, they haven't like outright said it, but they're like wink, wink, winking the whole cannot be a blank check to Ukraine. Jay Paul said, the letter sent yesterday has been completed with GOP opposition for support for the Ukrainians' just defense, like just justifiable defense of their national sovereignty. As such, it is a distraction at this time, and we withdraw the letter. The letter that we didn't mean to send and a staffer sent accidentally, we are now withdrawing. <laughs> There's like one dude who actually, I'll just keep reading for it. Jayapal's reaction is the latest twist in a strange 24 hours of democratic politics, which has seen the Progressive Caucus apparently lend its name to a call for direct talks with Moscow to end the war in Ukraine, followed by a fierce backlash and then staged walking back of the position. In the original letter, okay, we already talked about the original letter, and they do some quotes from it and they highlight what it was about. And uh, the Guardian article even points out that in no point did it call for the ending of funding to Ukraine or withdrawal of support or really anything other than, hey, maybe we should be talking. Uh, the the opposition I've heard come up, which seems salient at first, is any negotiation done between the U.S. and Russia would be invalid because what matters is what Ukraine wants. And I am inclined to agree with that at first. But then you remember, Ukraine and the, the Zelensky administration does not do anything without Washington approval. So, yeah, like, (laughs) at the heart of it, I agree. It should be Ukraine and Russia negotiating. But the power that is, the the only reason that Ukraine is not, has not been freaking obliterated is that we keep, we we are uh, helping them out. So the idea that the person, the entity, the United States and NATO, that is funding half of the war would, would, oh, they should have nothing to do with the negotiations is like kind of silly. It's like, yeah, it's going to (laughs) be, 
<laughs> the people who actually need to work it out are NATO and Russia. Ukraine, that's why we call this a proxy war. I don't think that this war is about its stated goals. I think it is much more about keeping weapons manufacturers in money, uh, fighting over new market, not new markets, because these markets have already existed. It's the redistribution of markets. People in the U.S., people in the West want markets. And if all the markets are already conquered, the only way to create, quote, new markets is to, like, scramble around. That's why we always seem to be poking and destabilizing things and going with this and moving that. Maybe that's why they blew up that pipeline. <laughs> it has something to do with taking over the natural gas market that Russia has a gigantic chunk of. How do we horn in on that? Maybe people could benefit from a crisis uh, such as a, you know, military conflict in Ukraine to shuffle around and get better positions within the capitalist hierarchy. Get your oil and gas company some better contracts. Doesn't seem that insane to me. But I don't know. Maybe I live in I live in a fantasy world. <laughs> I live in a fantasy world where things make sense. Let me go farther down this thing. Cracks, albeit fine ones, are already clearly visible on the Republican side. The largest aid package for Ukraine, amounting to $40 billion, was passed in May, with 57 Republicans in the House and 11 in the Senate voting against. Supporters of the letter said that it reflected a desire to end the war through diplomacy, an aspiration which Biden himself has championed. He was explicit about that goal in a speech he made uh, in Delaware in June. Biden said, it appears to me at some point along the line, there's going to have to be a negotiated settlement here. And what that entails, I don't know. Biden, we agree. The only missing variable here is how many payments to Raytheon, weapons manufacturers, that's the big one of the big US ones, and Lockheed Martin, another big weapons manufacturer, do we have to make to get us to the negotiation table? Because that's where the money goes. When you hear about these $40 billion getting spent, quote, on Ukraine, it's $40 billion gets sent to weapons manufacturers who then make a bunch of weapons and then, in theory, send them to Ukraine. And as has already been proven, reported on, not all of it makes it there. We're just spending billions of dollars on shit to put on the black market so, like, ISIS can pick it up for a discount later. Like, that's where a lot of the money actually goes. It doesn't, like, go to feed a Ukrainian. It doesn't go to house a Ukrainian. <laughs> it, it goes to make a javelin missile. So the American uh, bourgeois uh, military-industrial complex <laughs> can just keep on churning along. Billions of dollars get funneled into the weapons manufacturing industry. The war keeps going, which destabilizes people, and then you can swoop in and, oh, well, we got a Starbucks on every other corner already. You're like, oh, shame that your town got blown up. We are American contractors here to rebuild your town <laughs> just because just we're such nice guys. Oh, we need a few more billions. Send them on over. I want to reiterate that my major concern, the biggest want I have, while fully acknowledging that I am not a person who is directly involved in this, I'm not Ukrainian, I'm not Russian, not even European. I am way on the other side of the world, able to kind of armchair, uh, Monday quarterback, <laughs> freaking hindsight 2020, have my opinions. The thing I want more than anything are peace, uh, ceasefire, peace negotiations, end of the conflict. Washington has said over and over how they want to fight to the last Ukrainian, and I don't think Washington should get to make that decision. I do not want anyone to be fighting to the last anyone, because that would be, that, that's a frick, that you've, you've, you've completed a genocide then, if you're fighting to the last Ukrainian. I think there should still be Ukrainians at the end of this conflict, no matter what happens. And going all the way, like having a protracted, drawn out, multi-year military quagmire with uh, the constant threat of nuclear annihilation, I don't think gets us there. I think that will, in fact, lead to a worse time for uh, all of planet Earth. 
I don't know if you heard about this, but Nancy Pelosi's husband got hit with a hammer the other day. And wow, it is very difficult to track down a version of this story that makes sense either. I want to open by saying, I do not know what happened. This incident is like, this is very much a, a, a moving target that I'm trying to talk about, but I think it is worth talking about. Nancy Pelosi and her husband are famously some of the biggest criminals in uh, American government. We know how much the insider trading. What what is insider trading? They work within the government. They see plans and actions. Like they know what's going to happen, what the U.S. government is going to do before it does it. And that means they can know what industries are going to be helped and hurt by those policies. For example, Nancy Pelosi took a trip to Taiwan. And if you ask the uh, Democrats, if you ask Nancy why she was doing that, it's like, oh, this was a symbolic diplomatic trip to, to, to show our support for Taiwan and freedom and justice in America and all shit. Weirdly, coincidentally, her and her husband have big investments in, uh, what is it, like mi- the microchip, it's not, uh, semiconductors, in the semiconductor industry, and semiconductors, they make a ton of them in Taiwan, so she has a vested interest <laughs> in Taiwan continuing to, like, you see what I'm saying here? She gets involved in industries monetarily, her and her husband, that she herself has controls of the lever of power over, It's like if she bought a bunch of stock in McDonald's the day before going, all right, McDonald's is now a tax-free entity or I don't know. (laughs) McDonald's is now the official restaurant of America (laughs) or the opposite. They knew they're about to crack down on sugar excess calories. So they sold all their stock in McDonald's. It's cartoon villain, the most obvious, oh, how could this possibly be legal shit? So I have so little sympathy and care for what happens to the Pelosi's. I don't wish death on anyone. I don't think anyone should be hurt in their own home. But people are acting like this is the end of democracy. Even the Pelosi's aren't safe anymore. And how do you care? How do you find it in yourself to care? (laughs) Nobody should get hammered. But within two seconds, the, the person who hit him with a hammer, they're immediately like, he was MAGA and or Russian, we aren't sure. <laughs> like, okay, what actually happened? So let's talk about this story. This is NPR, hopefully relatively neutral. House of Representatives Speaker Nancy Pelosi has said she and her family are, quote, heartbroken and traumatized by the violent attack on her husband, Paul Pelosi. Pelosi added that she is grateful for the quick response of law enforcement and medical experts and leaning on her Christian faith in a difficult time. Paul Pelosi, 82, was hit with a hammer by a male intruder at the married couple's San Francisco home on Friday. He suffered a fractured skull and injuries to his right arm and hands and remains in the hospital. Personally, I hope he's okay. I don't want him to die. I don't think he should have had his skull cracked or his right arm broken or whatever happened. I am not wishing harm or injury on anyone. I would like to discuss how fishy this shit is. The Speaker of the House, like, why do we talk about Nancy Pelosi? Why does she even matter? Well, she's extremely powerful in the American government. Like, we have the Senate, we have the House. She's, like, the de facto leader of the House. Half of our bicameral legislature, our representatives that we actually send to Washington. She, as the Speaker, is supposed to, like, keep her party under control. You might remember how AOC was going to vote for something good. And then Nancy Pelosi ran over and talked to her, made her cry, and then AOC changed her votes to present. Like, (laughs) she's the, the... 
the bully weirdo. <laughs> she is the bully of the, uh, the House of Reps, the Democrats. Things that I think are weird about this, my husband was hit with a hammer in our house in San Francisco story. The Speaker of the House is the third in line for the presidency. Like, if the... I, I, when I say third in line, I don't know if she's number three or technically number four. It's like president, vice president, speaker? I think that's her, right? Or is she is she down one more? But either way, she... If shit goes down or there's some kind of crazy terrorist attack or a bunch of assassinations and all that, she is, yeah, she's third in line to be the president. If the president dies, if the vice president dies or incapacitated or whatever, captured by enemy insurgents, <laughs> Nancy is the one taking over. There is no fucking way that the guy who we now knew had the hammer, who was probably like on meth and like various like party drugs, he was, he was a little drugged up, uh, young, middle-aged, I think he's like in his 40s. There is no goddamn way that he just broke into their house. Like, <laughs> their San Francisco fortress. How easy, do, it'd be like walking into the vice president's house with a hammer, <laughs> or maybe they found the hammer in there. How the hell did they get into the Pelosi house? Secret service has got to be around. There's no way that they just have like a normal house with normal security measures. Like, that's, ah, you know what I mean? The other part is the Pelosi's, while being uh, the, the that whole intro, me talking about how they are uh, gross criminals who should be in jail for how they have betrayed and sold out the American uh, working class uh, for their entire careers. Um, they have a history of being super rich weirdos who have like they get drunk all the time they get in fights while drunk uh pelosi husband the guy got hit with a hammer had a dui just last year uh or maybe that was this year i don't even remember like they live a weird lifestyle a bourgeois lifestyle and the this is where i get into weird conspiracy shits and uh i do not know what happened and hopefully we eventually will and what would be really nice is if they would just release some security camera footage to show the guy running the house. Like, that would immediately make all the conspiracy people shut up, wouldn't it? <laughs> you know they have footage on 20 angles in freaking 4K HD of this shit happening. <laughs> Why did the attacker not have any pants on? Where are those pants? <laughs> how come... How come he didn't get hit with the hammer until the cops were already on the scene? The cops were called for a domestic incident, not for there's been a break-in at my house. Apparently, Nancy Pelosi wasn't even in the house. So, I see, I don't know, maybe two or three possible things happened. First option being exactly what the what the news has presented. Someone managed to break into the Pelosi household, was screaming, where's Nancy? They're now saying that he had zip ties on him. Zip ties are now the scariest thing in America, by the way. You just add, they had zip ties, and it's like, oh my god! <laughs> and then he attacked a uh, husband with a hammer while, like, when things got messy, because you know, he's drugged up, have, wants to wants to kill Nancy Pelosi, and couldn't, you know, we're dealing with a not uh, an off-balance individual in this situation. Uh, option two is that <laughs> is that is that Paul Pelosi was uh, basically out on a date with this guy and brought him home and they were doing, you know, having party. They were partying it up and shit got out of control and he hit him with a hammer. <laughs> it's, it's possible. And it's also going to be discouraged to think about this because it, it, it would then mean that Paul Pelosi is at least a, a bit interested in homosexual relationships, which obviously is not what I care about. 
I don't give a flying fuck if Paul Pelosi is gay. It's kind of like a, a Kevin Spacey scenario. It's like, yeah, you being gay, I'm more concerned about the crimes. I, I want to hear uh, about the crimes. Not really, don't care that you're gay. Uh, but I am interested in the crimes. Also possible, this was a domestic thing where uh, him, Nancy, and this other guy were all in the house all partying and or like Nancy comes in, sees them partying, gets mad, hits him with a hammer. I don't know. <laughs> it just is such a, I cannot imagine somebody just waltzing in to the third in line for the president's house in San Francisco in a very ritzy neighborhood with no pants and just like, oh yeah, it just happened. It's that like, is their security that awful? Do they really just have no security going on? All right. I'm very curious to see what comes of this in the future? We might never hear anything else about this. And like I said, I hope he recovers from his injuries, but I do know that he will receive the best medical attention available on planet Earth and that he will pay zero dollars for it. Just so this is on so this is on record. This is what I think is the most conspiracy theory of them. The third possibility, the other one I could see would be that this is like Jussie Smollett 2, where like Polo they like hired somebody to do it so they could then uh, go, look, before the midterms, look, they're trying to stop us. They're trying to kill us in our homes. Protect us. The House of Reps, multi-millionaire ins insider trading scumbags. Feel bad for us. Help us <laughs> keep doing this. This might lead to Nancy losing the speaker role, which doesn't, it only diminishes her power a little, but cool, I guess. They're going to replace her with someone else who has the, who protects the same interests. I don't think the new speaker of the house is going to be pushing to remove uh representatives abilities to trade on the stock market which is a thing you th like you'd be like no that can't be legal right you can't just you can't participate in a market that you make the rules for no you can't this is america you can always do that i'm i'm trying to go with occam's razor on this and i think the most likely thing is that pelosi and some dude were fucking around they were having a night on the town came back things got crazy somebody got hit with a hammer <laughs> Because the hammer hit didn't happen to... Apparently the hammer hit happened right in front of the cops. It's like, what the fuck? The cops open fire on every black toddler they see. But there's a guy with a hammer in front of the Speaker of the House's husband. And you're just kind of like, eh, let's see what, let's see how this plays out. Oh, he hit him. All right. <laughs> let's take care of it, boys. Let's hit our final story for the day. You remember that railroad strike? To do a recap, uh, the r major railroad unions in the U.S. are have been for the last five years trying to negotiate a new national contract. Uh, I say national contract. It's probably the wrong words. A new contract. And the sticking point is that the rail workers want what? Mansions, Ferraris, personal horse tamers to live on their property, <laughs> falconry lessons, no, they want sick days. They want five sick days a year. And that has been a sticking point for years. And the bosses who have been making record profits so don't think that, oh, it's COVID and the rail companies have been making no money. So they have to cut costs and like tighten the purse strings to stay valuable, viable as businesses. False. They are experiencing record profits because they keep uh, cutting staff more and more. Where now every train is run on this skeleton crew, and if anybody takes any day off ever, it fucks up the whole system. 
I, a man of logic, would say that you can peel off a couple of the billions of dollars in profit and hire some extra people so you're, uh, so everyone can have some time off. But of course, businesses under the economic mode of capitalism do not exist for any reason other than to maximize profit for owners, for shareholders who are just other owners. If we had an economic system, such as a socialism, that is geared towards use, geared towards increasing the productive forces of a nation, or in this case, making a rail very efficient and good <laughs> so we can get stuff from place to place so it can be manufactured into a thing that can be used by the citizenry. Yeah, if we had a system like that, we would probably give people sick days. So... What's going on with that? They had, they were about to go on strike. We're about to have a nationwide rail strike. All freight rail, passenger rail alike was about to just shut down completely. But Joseph Robinette Biden came riding in on a white Amtrak train. And what did he deliver unto the peons? But a deal. He's like, Jack, listen here. <laughs> listen up, fat. We, we got a, we got a, we got a deal that's gonna knock your freaking socks off. What did that deal include? How many sick days? Zero, zero sick days. Okay, let me be fair and balanced. It was one personal day uh, that you had to jump through a certain number of hoops to be able to use an unpaid personal day, which they kind, they're like, well, it's kind of like a sick day, like. If you're sick and you know about it two days in advance, you can request the time off without pay. You can take that day off. <laughs> so they were running around talking about how Biden averted a rail strike. I saw so many stories. Biden deal averts rail strike. No. What then happens is they that deal is voted on by union members. It's kind of why it's really important to have, have a union some way to collectively bargain against your awful boss who won't even give you a single sick day. Uh, and, uh, part of, part of the secret of this process is Congress does have the authority due to, it's like the rail railroad labor act, uh, came around in like the thirties when we actually had a labor movement and we're doing these rail strikes where like the Pinkertons come in and just shoot the, <laughs> shoot the people on strike. Uh, back in those days, they put in, uh, the ability for the federal government to just directly force railroad employees to go to work. And then if they still went on strike, that's when they would send in Pinkertons to shoot them. The rail unions have been voting on this deal, and th three of the really big ones have already voted no. And all it takes for this to fail, by the way, is like one of the big of any of the unions saying no, because the other unions are not going to cross a picket line, meaning they will show solidarity with other rail working unions and uh, support their decision to not take the deal. Because if they don't take the deal, they go on strike, and then what are you going to do? Like, go to your other union member co-worker and say, sorry, dude, my name is Scabzilla, and I'm here to mess up your strike. <laughs> so no, they do show some kind of solidarity. It's also why unions are good, because it's formalized, and it uh, makes, like, militancy easier, easier to organize, <laughs> like, you have some mechanism of talking to each other. Everybody isn't just sitting in their own rooms, watching wherever they are, getting whatever information they're getting, that you can at least present, hey team <laughs> if this all comes to a strike we are also your support network you got things like strike funds like we will help pay your bills and make sure you don't go homeless during the strike which is another function of a union 
So let's read this thing. This is from, I'm being real fair and balanced. My sources are all over the damn place today. I started with the socialist world. And now I'm going to the Daily Beast, baby. What does the Daily Beast have to say about how Joe Biden's victory with railroad unions could be derailed? This is a very pro-Biden source. And you'll see what I mean as I read, because they talk all the time about how pro-labor he is. Biden is the most pro-labor motherfucker of all time. <laughs> He's so pro-labor, he offered them zero sick days. All right. And it should be noted that Biden has only ever negotiated on behalf of the bosses. He's not over there trying to get better deals for the union. He's trying to get shittier deals for the union. I would love a Biden when you're like, you know what? These people want 10 sick days. I say they want 20 sick days and you can take 15 if you want to haggle me down. Like that would be on behalf of the workers, like going hard, freaking strong arming the bosses because he's, you know, the president and has some kind of authority in our phony baloney country. Here's the article. I keep procrastinating. A tentative agreement brokered by President Joe Biden between railroad unions and freight train companies is at risk of going off the rails. They were proud of that. They did it in the headline and the article. Once again, raising the prospect of a potential national railway strike that the president has warned could further disrupt the nation's economy. On Wednesday, a commanding majority of the Brotherhood of Railroad Signalmen, badass union name, <laughs> voted down the tentative agreement that unions and railroad management had reached last month. Joining the Brotherhood of Maintenance, these are all gendered unions, <laughs> the Sisterhood of Maintenance of Way Employee, oh, Maintenance of Way Employees, the third largest railroad union in the country, in rejecting the deal. Two big unions have already said no. Actually, no, three of them. Three big unions have all said no. Brotherhood of Railroad Signalmen President Michael Baldwin said in a statement that railway management seems to forget that the rank and file of their employees continued to perform their job each day through an unprecedented pandemic, while the executives worked from home to keep their families safe. Based. Baldwin added that the vote, in which 60% of the union's participating members cast ballots against ratification, was a consequence of a lack of good faith bargaining on the part of management. The owners will never come and negotiate in good faith because, remember, they only exist as a mechanism to increase profit. To them, this is good faith. This is take it or leave it. We have a reserve army of labor, people off the street who would happily do your job. Uh, take it or leave it and live on the street. <laughs> so, good faith bargaining can only happen if a union has leverage and exerts that leverage against the bosses. It's basically like a mini version of a revolution. <laughs> like, we are the people who actually do the thing, and if you do not meet our demands, sorry. What I would prefer is if it went farther and said, uh, we don't even care if you meet our demands. We want ownership of the company. The demand is ownership. <laughs> like, the people who work here want to have ownership over you. Because that would exert the ultimate leverage. Then you could say, I'm going to take my ball and go home, but also I own a chunk of this company, so you must negotiate with me. Like, you have to deal with me. For the same reason the employees have to deal with the owners. Why? Because they're big, special wizards? No, because they're the owners. They own it. They have the ultimate leverage. They have complete leverage. The only leverage given to the workers is that they are necessary for the operation of the company, whereas the bosses, uh, as this guy said, worked from home to keep their families safe. They didn't They didn't push a single railroad car. Is that how it works? They push the cars? We didn't do this Flintstone-style railway. Welcome to Flintstone Rail. You know, the signal men. They're not turning any signals. The bosses aren't turning any signals. It's the Brotherhood of Railroad signal men who are actually doing the work. Therefore, Anything they want is justified, in my opinion. All right, moving on. 
For the first time I can remember, the BRS members voted not to ratify a national agreement, Baldwin said, and with the highest participation rate in BRS history. So this isn't that people stayed home and didn't vote. They all knew what was happening and voted at record levels. No, we do not want this deal. The vote not to ratify the agreement, which must be approved by each of the country's dozen railway unions in order to prevent a strike, could undercut Biden's buzzer-beating victory last month. Maybe victory should be in quotes since it uh, did was not a victory uh, last month in the waning days of the midterm election, mid-term election campaign. In mid-September, administration officials worked overnight to prevent a nationwide freight rail strike that would have put nearly a third of the nation's transported goods at risk of a standstill. At the time, Biden called the tentative agreement between unions and the National Carriers Conference Committee, the bosses, a win for tens of thousands of rail workers, with improved pay, better working conditions, and lower health care costs for tens of thousands of railway employees. Biden says, I think, <clears throat> quote, this tentative agreement means that our economy can avert the significant damage any shutdown would have brought, Biden said, thanking Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, Tom Vilsack of the Department of Agriculture, and Marty Walsh of the Department of Labor. Leadership of the Brotherhood of Railroad Signalmen, which just voted down the agreement, had been front row attendees of the Rose Garden ceremony where Biden announced the tentative agreement. But lingering anger over the refusal of freight rail management to provide paid sick leave has been a major sticking point. Notice they're not even talking about we need to be paid more. They just want sick days. Uh, particularly after the coronavirus pandemic, said Tony D. Cardwell, president of the Brotherhood of Maintenance of Way employees. Railroaders are discouraged and upset with working conditions and compensation and hold their employer in low regard. Railroaders do not feel valued. They resent the fact that management holds no regard for their quality of life, illustrated by their stubborn reluctance to provide a higher quantity of paid time off, especially for sickness, Cardwell said. The result of this vote indicates that there is a lot of work to do to establish goodwill and improve the morale that has been broken by the railroad's executives and Wall Street hedge fund managers. I like this guy. He's, he's talking the right talk. The National Carriers Conference Committee, the bosses, noted in a statement that half of the rail unions have already voted to ratify the agreement, which include the, this is a quote, include the largest wage increases in nearly five decades and pave the way for immediate payouts averaging more than 11000 per railroader ahead of the holidays. What they're talking about is that's all back pay. It's because they've been putting off, they have been fucking around, not giving them sick days for four years. This is now, like, we're in the last, I think it's like every five years you get a new contract and their old contract had expired already and they just keep negotiating and they just keep putting it off and putting it off and delaying and after three years they're like all right we're gonna do a strike <laughs> and then finally the president goes um maybe you could offer them zero sick days okay thank you very much victory i joe biden have achieved a victory <laughs> this is the most like put up or shut up shit Ugh. that eleven thousand, which i mean good i'm glad they're getting money but that's like four years of back pay because they have been effing around in this negotiations what happens to all the people who either quit or were fired for whatever reason in those years. Are they going to get $11,000? <laughs> the bosses said the tentative agreement was hammered out, quote, in partnership with the most labor-friendly administration ever, in reference to Biden, and said that ample, quote, paid time off allows rail workers, it's zero days, uh, to take leave if they or their family become ill. Railroads remain committed to reaching contracts with our unions, the committee said. The clock is now ticking until November 19th, when the status quo, or quote, cooling off period, which rail workers and companies operate under prior contracts, expires. So the whole, like, 
under prior contracts. They the, the deadline of you can no longer f around. You have to have a new contract, or the contract expires, is November nineteenth. The same day that Congress, which could vote to force unions to accept the proposed deal, begins a scheduled week-long break for the Thanksgiving holiday. So what'll happen? Will they be legally forced to accept a deal they do not want that does not give them the things they need? Or will the bosses uh, give them a fucking sick day? Uh-oh! Gotta crash the economy so fucking Billy Bob and Cindy Lou can't have a sick day off their railroad job. I only laugh because it is ridiculous, not because it is funny. It is funny how ridiculous it is. We live in a Dr. Seuss book. It's a trolley problem of, on one hand, the entire shipping industry of the U.S., and on the other hand, giving someone a sick day and no one dies. <laughs> oh no, do I pull the lever? Well, my friends, I've had a fun time sitting in a room talking to myself. Well, not talking to myself. I got my patrons in the chat with me. Thank you very much for being here, keeping me company. We are going to BS about these topics now off air. And if you want to join us again, jump on the Patreon. This has been Last Minute Politics. I am Pepper Coyote. Blah!